Welcome to Eccentric Earth, the podcast where I'm joined each week by a special guest to talk through a story from history. Joining me for this episode is Chris Haig. Hi. Hi, thank you for joining us, Chris. Oh, no, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Excited's good. Everyone's been excited so far. Yeah. <laughs> a, a little bit of nervousness for not knowing what you're in for, but... <laughs> hey, listen, I, 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 I'm intrigued. I'm like, what is... What is eccentric Earth going to throw at me? And I'm like, let's 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 bring it on. I'm interested to learn something cool. So, well, hopefully you'll you'll find this cool. This is a lot of this stuff in this episode. I I'd never even heard about before before oh. I actually started looking into it, and it shocked me considering um, a little fact that will come up at the end. Uh, it's something that I really thought I'd have known about, but everyone I've spoken to have had no idea about this. So. And now I'm even more intrigued. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, if uh, if you're ready to go, we can jump right into the story of Elizabeth Thry. Oh, the name's really familiar. I don't know why. Okay, go on. <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth Gurney was born on the 21st of May, 1780, at Gurney Court in Norwich. She was born to a prominent Quaker family. The Gurney family were descendants of. Hugh de Gournay, one of the Norman noblemen who accompanied William the Conqueror to England in 1066. Oh, okay. Fancy. Okay. Yeah, so long, long running family. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've, they've been here for a while. Yeah. <laughs> in the 17th century, the family had become devout Quakers and moved to Norwich, becoming active in the woolen trade. Ten years before Elizabeth's birth, her father also entered the world of banking having established Gurney's Bank in the city. The Quaker Bank became renowned for its honesty, reliability and fair dealings, and so people entrusted the Gurney family with their money for safekeeping, making the family one of the most respected in Norwich. Elizabeth's mother, Catherine, also came from a banking family, the Barclays, who were among the founders of Barclays Bank. Oh, OK, OK, fair enough. Yeah, I, I had no idea Barclays Bank went back that far. It's a little surprising. Well, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's a bit like, oh, I didn't really... You know, there's tons of them. I reckon so many of the banks have just sort of... They've been... Oh, they've had, like, roots from centuries ago. So, yeah, that's... Oh, wow, that's cool. So she's got kind of double prestige, really, haven't she? Like she's got kind of William of Conqueror associations and then also, you know, from Barclays Bank and that sort of thing. So she... She was, what, fairly well-to-do? Oh, yeah, very, very well-to-do, upper-class family. Oh, okay. Elizabeth's mother was an incredibly progressive woman and believed all girls should be educated. She also instilled her children with good values, believing that it was the responsibility of the rich people to help others through charity work. She took her children to visit poor families, often bringing them food and clothing. Whilst Elizabeth wrote that she did not like her lessons much at this young age... 
Bored with subjects such as Latin, she did develop a deep love and curiosity of nature. Unfortunately, Elizabeth's mother died when she was just 12 years old. As one of the oldest girls in the family, Elizabeth then became partly responsible for the care and education of the younger children, including her brother Joseph John Gurney, a philanthropist in his later life, and her sister Louisa Gurney Hoare, who would go on to become a writer on education. Following the death of her mother, Elizabeth's father paid for a teacher for her and her siblings, and Elizabeth studied history, geography and French. Elizabeth had a friend, Amelia Alderson. Amelia's father was a member of the Corresponding Society group that advocated universal suffrage and annual parliaments. At the Alderson home, Elizabeth was introduced to the ideas of Mary Woolencraft, Tom Paine and William Goodwin. Amelia's father talked to the girls about politics and new ideas, something that was rarely done at the time. Elizabeth was excited by these new ideas. She regularly wore a French hat to celebrate the French Revolution and was often seen in brightly coloured clothing and became well known for wearing purple boots throughout the city. Okay, alright, I, right, I have a question. What is a <laughs> yeah. French hat? Because in my head, it's sort of like a... I honestly don't know if I'm thinking of beret or... I know it's a tiny <laughs> detail, but part of it's just like... What is the hat like? Um... I will have a very quick... Yeah, that, that's something that didn't actually cross my mind. What is a French hat? <laughs> because it's not... I was just thinking, like, were, were berries, I think, at the time? Or was it kind of... Because in my head, it's kind of almost a bit like what I imagined French officers were wearing, but then I'm like, I don't think, like... A, I don't know. I don't know enough about... Because she said she was born in 17... When was it? When was she born? 1780. So from what I'm seeing here, and this does line up with something I did read as well, um, it's kind of like the tricorn hat. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Oh, okay. I was just thinking, because if she... So her mum died at 12, she's growing up in this, so it would have been kind of turn of the century. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry, I pick up on weird little details. I'm like, oh, I just want to see what that's like. There was some information that she rode through the city wearing a a tricorn hat at one point as well, so that's probably the French hat. Ah, the more you know. (laughs) Elizabeth could be very obstinate, but she was always very concerned for others. Before the age of 15, she asked her father several times to take her to see the women at the House of Correction in Norwich. Eventually he gave way and they went. Elizabeth held her father's hand as she watched the poor women, On returning home, she contrasted their lives and surroundings with her own and asked, if this is the world, where is God? Wow. Yeah, so so (laughs) that that, it fucked her up a bit. (laughs) I mean, I I suppose in a good way, but I, yeah. I just love the idea of like a 15-year-old just being that articulate to be there looking around and answering, you know, a fairly valid question, even if you do have, you know, faith of some kind. It's just going like, well, how is this... There, how how can God be, you know? That. I just, yeah. And it speaks quite highly of how awful the prison system was if your reaction from seeing it is, there is no God. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's the thing, is that I've never really walked into somewhere, mind you, this is probably, you know, kind of first world privilege, but I've never walked into somewhere, <laughs> even when I thought, oh, it's a bit dodgy, I've never been in a place and gone, oh, look, the absence of an all-knowing God. <laughs> because this exists it's never been that bad so yeah I you know like you're right the, oh my god the prison system is such a bit horrible mm. 
As a teenager, she became sympathetic to the Republican views of Thomas Paine through links with members of the Corresponding Society, most likely her friend Amelia's father. Mm. No, I didn't put that in there. Sorry, I, I've mentioned Thomas Paine a couple of times. Yeah. I'm just going to bring up who he is again. Yeah, well, that's fine, because you mentioned him as part of like who yeah. uh, Elizabeth was inspired by. It was like Mary Wollenscroft, Thomas Paine. Okay, so he's an English-born American political activist, philosopher, political theorist, and revolutionary. Oh. Uh, he was one of the founding fathers of the United States. He authored two of the most influential, pam- influential pamphlets at the start of the American Revolution and inspired the rebels in 1776 to declare independence from Britain. So, yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> big business in America. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so if you've got Elizabeth Fry, who is, you know... British and everything, I believe. How, so was Thomas Paine, was he in England at the time, or was he like an American exile and they were just reading about him? Because would that, would that have been like quite incendiary stuff? No, he, he was over in America, um, yeah. basically kicking off the American Revolution. And um, she, she liked some of his stuff, mm. basically. Probably because oh. he was advocating to move away from a lot of the British constructs over in America and it was, and it's going to sound weird saying it, but America was being quite progressive in some ways at the time, even (laughs) though they quickly went backwards on that in a lot of things. Um, But to a certain degree, she she was inspired by, by what he was doing. She attended the Sunday Quaker meetings, but paid little attention. However, when Elizabeth was 18, she heard the American Quaker and abolitionist William Savory preach. She was incredibly moved by what she heard in the meeting and later said, I have felt there is a God. So she's got her faith back. Wow. Okay. Fair, fair enough. All right. And it's it's a strange point, but it jumped out at me when I was researching. An abolitionist whose surname is Savory, which is so close to slavery. <gasps> it's oh, my like, God. Yes. It, it just, it just immediately ooh. jumped out at me. <laughs> oh, my God. An abolitionist who's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, savory. No, no, not slavery. Yes, savory. Oh my god. Oh I wonder god. if he intentionally dropped the L. <laughs> <laughs> He's there just crossing out everything. What's your name? No, savory. Sa- I, know it, I know it looks like it, so, you know. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. Wow. It, see, it's weird stuff like this, you know? Yeah, all these weird coincidences or weird little kind of, oh, it sounds almost like this or it's the same name as this. I love all this. So I'm there like, oh my god, okay. Every, every little weird bit about a weird part of history is just so cool. Elizabeth begged her father to invite Savory to dinner. After the dinner, she wrote in her diary, Today I felt there is a god. I love the man as if he were almost sent from heaven. We had much serious talk, and what he said to me was like a refreshing shower on a parched up earth. After meeting Savory, Elizabeth decided to devote her energies to helping those in need. Over the next few years, she collected old clothes for the poor, visited the sick, and realising that many poor children were never afforded the opportunity to learn, and almost never went to school, started a Sunday school for poor children in her own home. She began to be more serious, and her father noticed the change in Elizabeth. She went to London, but found the theatres and other entertainment artificial. Whilst visiting her cousin, she met an elderly Quaker called Deborah Darby. At one of the meetings, this lady rose to her feet, pointed at Elizabeth and said, Thou shalt be a light to the blind, speech to the dumb, and feet to the lame. Elizabeth saw this as a sign from God. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. 
So um, crazy lady shouts some stuff, and Elizabeth's like, "Yep, that's a sign." Yeah, it could be. You know, in terms of like getting shouted at things by potentially insane elderly people, it's fairly like it's better to be like, "Oh yeah," it's like it's like being like aggressively complimented. It's like you know, it's like someone on the street going like, "Do you know what? You're going to have an amazing day. You're going to help so many people." You know, like thank. You, yeah, it's a weird one, but she could she could, she could have shouted a lot worse, I suppose. <laughs> oh, listen, like I, I live in a rough area, Leeds. I'm I'm used to people like saying horrible things at each other, just like <laughs> on a daily basis, just like shouting at each other. So. I I would love it if like aggressive complimenting was the thing. <laughs> only if only like you know warranted or between friends or anything. I'm not saying like you should go up to someone and be like, "Oi, you are an amazing human being," and then walking off because that's that's still a really aggressive. But you know, I'm you know I'm not a, un- unopposed idea of someone being like really forcefully telling me that I've done a really good job on something. So yeah, you know. The trappings of society became less interesting to Elizabeth. She wrote in her diary, I felt myself under the shadow of the wing of God. I know now what the mountain is I have to climb. She decided to be a plain Quaker and gave up her fashionable clothes for a simply cut dress and high white linen cap. In July 1799, Elizabeth was introduced to Joseph Fry, a banker and part of the Fry's chocolate-making family. Fry a shy plain Quaker, asked her to marry him. At first she refused, but the following year, when she was 20 years old, on the 19th of August 1800, they married. She then became Elizabeth Fry. Elizabeth moved to London. The Frys were rich enough to employ servants, and this allowed Elizabeth to continue her work. Elizabeth began visiting the poor, and was appointed by the Friends of Grace Church Street Meeting as a visitor to the school and the workhouse at Islington. In her quiet way, she was very determined. One day, Elizabeth was talking to a beggar, holding a half-clothed infant, very ill with whooping cough. It became clear that the child did not belong to the beggar. The woman tried to elude Elizabeth, but she followed her despite the danger. She found in a filthy house a number of sick and neglected infants. The next day, she sent a doctor to tend to the children, but they had disappeared. It turned out that these were parish children kept by the woman purely to gain money from the authorities as their nurse. If they died, their deaths were concealed. Such situations were not uncommon, and it was not always possible for Elizabeth to help, but she did what she could. Oh, I mean... Oh, that's actually really dark. Oh, God. Yeah, although it's something that you do hear happening quite a bit today as well. People being carers for people that don't really exist, or taking people in just for the money and then neglecting it's unfortunately 200 oh, years later it's still going on yeah yeah, yeah. listen i'm you know i'm oh, horribly aware of stuff like this that goes on and it's just you know it i don't know i just it, it just makes me it makes me feel sad regardless of the time mm. uh because if you're trying to find like a home or something you know you that's the time when you are most vulnerable so yeah In 1808, Joseph's father died, and earlier the next year, Elizabeth moved from the city to live in the now-vacant Plachette House. In Plachette, she set up a girls' school, tending the sick in the local community and encouraging mothers to have their children vaccinated. She was also an excellent speaker, and by 1811, 
was recorded as a Quaker minister travelling long distances to minister to crowds. Despite these good works, the demands of motherhood occupied most of her time. Between the years of 1800 and 1812, she had given birth to eight children. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, wow, okay. <laughs> Fair enough, all right. Weirdly enough, my mum is one of eight, um, and so, but I, it still surprised me anyone does, like, quite a, a large amount of children. I'm like, good lord. <laughs> I'm like, you, you, you really figured out what you were good at, uh, you know, at an age, didn't you? <laughs> oh, God. I like to think at, at, like, three or four, they just thought, shit, it can't get any worse. Yeah, just just keep <laughs> having them. <laughs> well, there's that, that, I've heard parents say it before, which is like, after, you know, particularly the last families, it's like, you know, one kid, oh, it's a massive deal, everything, two, yeah, it's twice as much. But after a certain threshold of, like, three or four, it's like, it's basically the same. <laughs> you're changing. It's just, just keep going. I'm just a bit like, oh, okay. So, they, yeah, you're right. Like, three or four, were they just like, may as well keep going. <laughs> Good at it, you know. Yeah, we seem to enjoy the process. We might as well just keep doing it. <laughs> It'll be in fine, in fine fettle and everything, and you know, all that sort of thing. Plus, I suppose if they were religious, it might have been a bit of that whole. I don't, I don't know the proper quote, but like that, go forth and propagate sort of thing. Mm, you know, yeah. This is all procreation thing. Plus, at at the time, it was uh, sort of you need to have about eight to make sure you have about three or four survive. It was <laughs> Obviously, it's going to be a bit different for the wealthier families, but there's still a lot of, you know, don't get too attached to your kids, just in case. I, well, you know, because she was 19, 20 when she married and everything, and obviously in the years we're talking then in the, what was it, very early 19th century. But I remember reading the thing from years ago, and it was might have been a couple hundred years before that, and it might be relevant still which is that they didn't really bother naming the kids until they were a few years old because infant mortality was so high jesus i, I probably it's a thing where they didn't if it was only like a few kids they used to just be like oh yeah that's just my son my daughter whatever but not give them proper names until you know they were like at least five years old or something wow that's that's I, I scary because <laughs> enough that that's like a practice where they're like yeah i know your kid's probably not going to make it to five because we literally everything is awful and this is like a hellhole. So don't don't bother like you know don't, don't bother getting too attached. Wow, I, I thought it was bad enough when people say don't name the pets for the first couple of weeks just in case, but when it's don't name the kids for the first few years, that's really dark. Wait, wait, wait. do people genuinely say that? Don't name your pets for the first couple of weeks in case. Oh my god, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I've heard some people say that, especially with stuff like hamsters and rabbits and guinea pigs. It's like, yeah, yeah. the chances are it, it might not make it, so don't get too attached. <laughs> if you name it, we can't kill it. <laughs> That's a good yeah, one as well for people who have like, like chickens uh, and stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, I've known people who work on like farms and that, and, you know, one of the rules is, you know, don't ever... If it's an animal you're not going to kill, it's fine. So, like, the cows are usually fine. Or the horses or whatever. But it's like, don't ever name the pigs. Or don't ever name, like, you know, the sheep or whatever. Because you, because if you do, you'll get attached and then it'll be ten times as hard when they eventually have to go off to the slaughterhouse. And I was like, oh my 
Like, if anything's got that close to making me a vegetarian, <laughs> knowledge that at some stage someone's like named a pig, giving it a personality, and then has and then has had to see it carted off to be killed. I'm like, oh god, it's babying the city all over again, and I'm an emotional <laughs> wreck. Well, just, my dad's parents are yeah. uh, old school Italian, like they came from a little mountain village in Italy. So over there it was, if you got an animal, it either does a job or you eat it. And but... they've got chickens and it's got to the point now where my sister, she got attached to one of them. It had, oh. uh, it was born with a bit of a bad leg. So she helped them look after it. Um, she named it Forrest after Forrest Gump. Oh, no. And every time they serve chicken, when they go over there, she goes out into the garden and makes sure he's still there because she, she's like, if you, if you kill Forrest and make me eat him, I'm never talking to you again. Good. It's what I know. <laughs> but like, listen, you know that I'm attached to this, to this creature. Do not make me eat him, yeah. if nothing else. <laughs> that is cruel and unusual. But like, She literally ugh. gets them to like show her the, the chicken packet. To, to prove that it's not one of theirs. <laughs> oh, I love that. Every time she goes there, she's like, Sh- what we have in chicken? Show me. Yeah, that, that's Show me the packet. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> I really thought when you first started telling the story, I was like, oh, is this going to go really down? Is it like an whole forest? was delicious or just some <laughs> kind of really dark spin on it but no forest is alive and that's awesome yeah he's still doing strong <laughs> oh, i really want to make a chicken pun but i can't think of any <laughs> it's not that i'm like oh a chicken pun isn't appropriate i'm like no a chicken pun would be perfect but i can't think of one in 1813 elizabeth made a visit that would change her life Stephen Grellet, a family friend, had visited Newgate Prison and was appalled at what he saw. Elizabeth immediately enlisted some friends to make clothes for the near-naked children he observed. The next day, she went to the women's section of the prison. What she saw horrified her. 300 women, convicted criminals and those yet to be tried, and numerous children crowded together in two small stinking wards. All types of criminals were mixed together the hardened criminals and the young first-time offenders. She saw women stripping the clothes from a dead baby to give them to another child. The female prisoners slept on the floor without nightclothes or bedding. The women had to cook, wash and sleep in the same cell. Many of the women and children were sick. On a second visit, Elizabeth handed out more clothes and bedding that she had collected for them. Are you okay? Yeah, no, I was was a bit overwhelmed. I was just a bit... I was like... Because logically, I'm aware that stuff like this happened mm. 200 odd years ago. I'm aware I've done, you know, courses and history, and you know, I've been aware of some of the stuff, but just, oh, God, just it's the physical stuff, you know, like, oh, yeah, just take the clothes off a dead baby to give it to, 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 give it to another child, and just, I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, history. Mm. <laughs> it's a great subject <laughs> to feel depressed. <laughs> Pretty much. Elizabeth was unable to return to Newgate Prison for three years because of two more pregnancies, poor health and the death of her daughter Betsy, aged five, but the memory never left her. In 1816, she went back to the prison. 
At the gate, the turnkey tried to persuade her not to enter, thinking she would be in danger. She went in and found the women fighting. Caring little for her own safety, she knelt in the cell and prayed for them. She turned to them and asked, If there is nothing we can do for these innocent little ones, referring to the children. The women stopped fighting and began to talk about what they could do. For the first time, they felt that somebody cared about their children, and this touched them. Elizabeth continued regular visits to the prison. The women decided that they would like to start a school for the children. They asked Elizabeth if she would help Mary Connor, a prisoner, to get the resources she needed to run it. At first, the governor did not think it would work, but after seeing the improvement in the women's behaviour, he did agree. In 1817, Elizabeth founded the Ladies' Association for the Reformation of the Female Prisoners in Newgate, which helped organise the school and provide materials for the women to make clothes and items to sell. She introduced rules for behaviour, voted for by the prisoners themselves. <clears throat> for the rest of her life, Elizabeth would devote herself to hum humanitarian causes, beginning with the treatment of female prisoners at Newgate Prison. It took many years of perseverance and patience. In February 1818, Elizabeth was asked to give evidence to the Parliamentary Commission to the conditions of the country's prisons. Although the MPs were impressed with Elizabeth's work, they disapproved of some of her ideas. With her brother Joseph Gurney, she took up the cause of abolishing capital punishment. At that time in England, over 200 offences were punishable by hanging, including being in the company of gypsies for more than a month, damaging Westminster Bridge, cutting down young trees, impersonating a Chelsea pensioner, and, a, and writing a threatening letter. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. I just... Okay. <laughs> cutting down young trees, impersonating a Chelsea pensioner, yeah. that is possibly the funniest thing. <laughs> like, that's the kind of just going like, how dare you? impersonate this aged person from Chelsea. I, okay. <laughs> I just, okay, alright. I honestly don't know what else to say because I'm, I'm like, I want to know more, like, also what Elizabeth Fry is awesome and I've, I've realised where I know her from now. Um, but I just, yeah, it's all these little side bits that I'm just like, that is... I I am thinking of doing an episode about the 200 offensives that could get you hung in the UK, because the list is amazing. Oh, yeah, definitely. You've got you've got to do it, <laughs> even if it's just you. Just, just the whole episode is just reading them out. And, like, <laughs> it starts off serious, starts off serious, and then it just slowly gets more weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, I mean, huge credit to Elizabeth Fry, because I was just listening with all the... Um, you know, all the work she did for, you know, the female prisoners and, you know, kind of securing help for the chip. So, with the children, like, mm -hmm. but the thing I didn't get, or I'm still, I'm yet to get is, so if the women are in this kind of, you know, prison and everything, they're in the cells, so what then happens, so that so the kids staying there with them, is it until a certain time, or is it... And until they either become adults or their mother's serve their sentence oh my god that's horrific yeah. children would uh, serve the same time as their parents in prison oh my okay well, well did not they, know they that. saw it as it being a woman's place to raise her child and if she's in prison well she has to do that in prison yeah well i i <laughs> I, I i don't i don't agree with the logic but i can sort of <laughs> understand it um 
Which is weird because I would just assume it'd be off to like a workhouse or an orphanage or something. Or I, I don't know actually. Yeah. Oh no, no, I genuinely didn't know that. Didn't know that um, they just had the kids stay with them. So so the fathers had no say. Um, I can try and find out more. Um, from what I read, it was if the mother is in prison and there is no father, if she's an unmarried mother or the father's. Oh yeah, around. okay. Um, Fair enough. I'm not sure oh, if right. the father I was, was right. there. You don't if he had the extra thing. I'm just, just out loud, <laughs> just wondering to myself. I'm like, what about the dad? Elizabeth and her brother Joseph pleaded to the Home Secretary, Lord Sidmouth, for the lives of Charlotte Newman and Mary Ann James, accused of forgery, and Harriet Skelton, who had passed forged banknotes under pressure from her husband, all of whom were sentenced to death. In April 1818, Sidmouth rejected their arguments and insisted that the executions went ahead. Lord Sidmouth warned that Fry and her reformers were dangerous people as they were trying to remove the bread of punishment in the criminal classes. That same month, Elizabeth went to the mansion house and met with Queen Charlotte, wife of George III. After this, her work became well known and her life incredibly busy. During the bitter winter of 1818 to 1820, she set up the nightly shelter in London after seeing the body of a young boy in the street. And in autumn 1818, Elizabeth and her brother Joseph went on a tour of prisons in Scotland and the north of England. They found the conditions as bad, if not worse, than Newgate. After their tour, Joseph and Elizabeth published a report of what they saw. It was also during the 18. It was also during 1818 that Thomas Foxwell Buxton, Elizabeth's brother-in-law was elected MP for Weymouth. He was now able to promote Elizabeth's work in the House of Commons. In the autumn of 1820, Elizabeth, with her husband and two elder daughters, undertook a journey that included visiting many of the most important prisons in Britain. They strove to establish visiting committees where they did not exist. They visited Nottingham, Lincoln, Wakefield, Doncaster, Sheffield, Leeds, York, Durham, Newcastle, Carlisle, Lancaster and Liverpool, amongst others. This was just one of many tours of prisons Elizabeth would make during her life. By 1820, Elizabeth Fry had become a well-known personality in Britain. It was extremely unusual for a woman to be consulted by men on a professional basis. Elizabeth was criticised for playing this role and was attacked in the press for neglecting her family. Elizabeth, however, was undeterred. In 1821, she formed the British Ladies' Society for Promoting the Reformation of Female Prisoners, uniting the ladies' group that had sprung up across the country. This organisation would campaign for many improvements in British prisons, on convict ships and in Australia. It also set up establishment for the destitute women leaving prison. That's impressive. That is, yeah. Sorry, I know I'm not really saying much because I'm just listening, I'm just like, oh my god. Actually, this is pretty awesome. This is yeah. She for for that time, especially for a woman to be like heading all these changes, was amazing. Yeah, I mean, I know it's kind of the wrong attack to take, but it is so. Again, I'll, I'll do my own research after this because it's fascinating with this. But so she's in a position of you know power and prominence, and she's a well-known kind of activist and you know reformer of women's prisons and everything. She's still married at this point to the, um, is he a banker? The, I'm trying to think, what, um, 
Oh, no, no, he's in the chocolates, isn't he? He's, uh... well, they, they had connections to both banking and chocolates. Okay, cool. Um, sorry, I just had a vision of chocolate coins then, and I was like, <laughs> nope, not the right one. But, um... it, maybe so, that was where it came still... from, the merger of the two families. Mar- <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I mean. I'm just a bit like... You wouldn't want to get like the chip, like the chocolate coins and the real coins mixed up because that is just going to ruin Christmas. <laughs> it's going to have people fighting. But so that how is there anything said about how he was he like on board with it? Was he you know? Oh like, yeah, he he supported cool. Elizabeth completely. Oh, see that's just making me think of like Leslie and Open Ben Wyatt, and now I'm really happy because <laughs> I'm supposed to be being super supportive of his awesome wife. And that makes me, yeah, I'm pretty cool with that. The next Home Secretary, Sir Robert Peel, was more sympathetic to the cause and reforms were introduced. The reforms, including the 1823 Jails Act, saw women prisoners guarded by other women and allowed regular visits from prison chaplains. So up until that point, um, women were not guarded by other women at all. It was all male. Oh, God, because that's not creepy. Yeah, you can imagine how how that would have ended up in a few situations. Oh, God, it's not even worth it. But, oh, my, yeah, particularly if it's just, like, it's two cells, it's power structure, it's, oh, my God, yeah, it's 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 horrible to even think about, but, yeah, it's in front of the time, and unfortunately, I dare say, something that still goes on. The prisoners were also given things to do that helped them develop skills and were taught how to read. The jailers were also paid. Yeah. I forgot ah. that part. Up until that point, it was a, a voluntary job. Do you want to come and be in a jail? Which, you know, in an ideal world, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're giving up their time to help look after, and it's just, you can tell the creepy shit went on. Oh, God, yeah. You know, not to be smirched, you know, the memories of what the creepy shit went on. I can, you can feel it in your blood. That horrible stuff went on. However, the reforms did not apply to debtors' prisons or local town jails. So it's just the large prisons this has been applied to, so she's still got some work to do. Oh, okay, alright. Although prison reform was Elizabeth's main concern, she continued to campaign for the poor. In 1824, she took a holiday in Brighton, where she was shocked by the large numbers of beggars in the street. She established a team of voluntary visitors who would go into the homes of the poor, where they would provide help and comfort. The scheme, the Brighton District Visiting Society, was a great success, and soon there were district visiting societies in towns all over Britain. So basically she she invented carers that visit people's homes. Yeah, oh yeah, okay. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Oh. She's not more well-known, but all well you know, I mean, she's she's well known, but kind of, you know, we never got taught any of this. Yeah. I'm like, you know, primary school, GCSE, but like, this is awesome. This is, you know. Yeah, it's it's like I was saying at start. I I recognised her name, but I had yeah. no idea she did any of this stuff. I mean, yeah, I, I think I know what you're going to say at the end in terms of like the little thing, um, in terms of like how we know her. Mm. But like, it's a, it's a shame that that one little thing is is it yeah and uh, her entire history of just like just oh my god that is so you know because she reformed prison and she's you know home care and she's you know making things yeah 
Okay. I'm sorry, I've already mentally made my mind up. I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely, like, at least probably going to get a book after this. <laughs> just to just to delve a bit, delve in a bit deeper. Awesome. So. No, that's, that's, that's great. I like, I like the idea that this show can inspire some people to go out and read oh, some more. You know, I, I, I came, I'll be honest, I came on the show thinking, like, oh, is it going to be, like, a weird disappearance? Is it going to be, like, a weird... <laughs> like more mysterious sort of thing but i'm like no this is actually just awesome this is just really inspirational so, I'm, I'm trying to space yeah. out the weird shit put some put some normal stuff between <laughs> <laughs> well, right, this is just, this is just like the normal like like filler in between god knows because you know i feel really bad I, I still you know i haven't listened to the show like i told you but um i will be like downloading on itunes and everything this weekend so awesome i'm gonna check it out Unfortunately, Elizabeth had her own problems to face. In November 1828, her husband, Joseph Fry, was declared bankrupt. Although not involved in her, hus- in her husband's business dealings, the bankruptcy affected her good name. There were totally unfounded rumours that the money from her charities had been used to support the bank. Elizabeth's brother, Joseph Gurney, took over Fry's business interests and made arrangements for all the debtors to be paid and for Elizabeth to receive £1,600 a year. That's 1600 in that day's money as well. So, Yeah. <laughs> I'll listen, it's like, I, you know, I love Pride and Prejudice, and I'm aware that, like, £1,000 back then was, like, like, quite, like, quite a bit of money. Yeah. Like, quite a good, you know... Well, when your, your mum is from the Barclays Bank family, you're not short of money. During her many prison and hospital visits, one of the main things that concerned Elizabeth was the treatment of the mentally ill. She asked that the practice of idle visits to stare at the insane be stopped. So people were just going to asylums to to stare at crazy people, which is lovely. Thanks, England. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It's it's what they used to do to to the mentally ill. I mean, in the... 17, 1800s, it had only basically evolved from the whole, you know, Bethlehem Hospital thing, but it was basically chain them up at the nearest sign of any mental illness and then, you know, get people to, you know, people will pay to come in and, you know, laugh at the freak show and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's horrific. I mean, you know, actually caring for people in terms of treating them with respect, you know, kind of originated in France, which was more this kind of you know, compassionate care and, you know, giving them space to just live, you know, live their normal lives, even if they are dealing with, you know, psychosis or if they're dealing with, you know, what whatever the conditions were kind of diagnosed at the time, whether it was like dementia precox or if it was, you know, schizophrenia or the depression or whatever it was, you know, they 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 did treat them like human beings, but unfortunately, that didn't translate a lot of the time. So I'm mm. glad to hear that, you know, she did. She did advocate for some sort of change. Yeah, she recommended that inmates be treated with the same consideration as sane people, and be allowed to exercise in the open air. Mm. She felt that all but the violent should dine together at a table covered with cloth, and be furnished with plates and spoons. In 1828, the Dowager Empress the ruler of China, visited England. She met with Fry and followed this advice and was later delighted with the results. Mm. So she's influenced China now as well. 
Again, yeah, it's a hell of a legacy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> Queen Charlotte, the Dowager, you know, Empress of China. It's, yeah. Yeah, a lot of connections. I like it. Another of Elizabeth's concerns was the quality of nursing staff. She started a training school for nurses in Guy's Hospital in 1840. These nurses were dressed in uniforms and instructed to attend both the patient's spiritual and physical needs. Florence Nightingale was influenced by Elizabeth's views on the training of nurses, and when Florence went to Crimea, she took a group of Elizabeth's nurses with her. Huh. Another cool anecdote from history. I like yeah. that. I just, yeah, I just, I just see her as like the centre of like a kind of spiderweb solar system <laughs> and she just has all these random cool connections just a bit like well she you know she is genetically related to this person or her husband's involved in this or you know she affected this person or influenced this or influenced this it's just like she has such a massive impact on people it's such an incredible life yeah um, and it's, yeah it's shocking that not just because of all the reforms she put in place but her connections to all these people that again like we said you, you aren't really taught about her in school which especially for a for uk schools you'd think they'd want to learn about this person because she had such yeah. an impact oh you would yeah you would have thought you know british you know heroine you know great you know campaigner and activist and all that sort of thing you really thought they'd have jumped on the chance for this and it's a real shame they happened for half a century elizabeth's whole life was dedicated to the poor she spoke widely on these issues and became well-known in society. Unfortunately, she did have her critics. Some said that she enjoyed the status too much, attracting attention from dignitaries and even royalty, but she was supported by her husband, family, and the love of the people that she helped. Queen Victoria took a close interest in her work, and the two women met on several occasions. Victoria gave her money to help with her charitable work, in her journal, Queen Victoria wrote that she considered Fry a very superior person. Ooh. It is claimed that Victoria, who was 40 years younger than Elizabeth Fry, might have modelled herself on this woman who successfully combined the roles of mother and public figure. Again, another cool connection. And, yeah. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's worse people, you know, to model yourself off. So, nice. One prisoner on her way to a transportation ship called out to Elizabeth, our prayers will follow you and a convict's prayers will be heard. Between 1838 and 1842, she carried her work to European prisons in France, Belgium, Holland, Germany, Prussia and Switzerland. Elizabeth continued to work whenever she was able until she died on the 12th of October 1845, although during the last years of her life she became very weak. Her remains were buried in the Friends Burial Ground at Barking. Over 1,000 people stood in silence as her body was buried, a mark of respect for a truly remarkable woman. There are yeah. a number of memorials to which commemorate places where Fry lived. There are plaques located at her, her birthplace at Gurney Court in Norwich, her childhood home in Eltham Hall, St Mildred's Court, City of London, where she lived when she was first married, at Arklow House, her final home and place of death in Ramsgate, her name heads the list of seven faces of the Reformers Monument in, in Kensal Green Cemetery in London. Due to her work as a prison reformer, there are several memorials to Elizabeth Fry. One of the buildings which make up the Home Office headquarters is named after her. 
She is also commemorated in prisons and courthouses, including a terracotta bust in the gatehouse of H.M. Prison Wormwood Scrubs, and a stone statue of her at the Old Bailey. The Canadian Association of Elizabeth Fry Societies honours her name by advocating for women who are in the criminal justice system. They also celebrate and promote a National Elizabeth Fry Week in Canada each May. <laughs> Elizabeth Fry is also commemorated in a number of educational and care-based settings. The University of East Anglia School for Social Work and Psychology is housed in a building named after her. There's an Elizabeth Fry Ward at Scarborough General Hospital in North Yorkshire. A road is named after her at Guildford College, a school in Greensboro, North Carolina, which was founded by Quakers. There is also a bust of Elizabeth Fry at East Ham Library in the Borough of London. Quakers also acknowledge Elizabeth Fry as a prominent member. Her grave at the former Society of Friends burial ground, located at Whitting Avenue in Barking, was restored and received a new commemorative marble plinth in October 2003. In February 2007, a plaque was erected in her honour at the Friends Meeting House in Upper Goat Lane, Norwich. Fry is also depicted in the Quaker Tapestry. She is honoured by other Christian denominations as well. In the Lady Chapel of Manchester's Anglican Cathedral, one of the portrait windows of noble women on the west wall of the chapel features Elizabeth Fry. The Church of England also included her on its calendar. Since 2001, Fry has been depicted on the reverse of the £5 note issued by the Bank of England. She is shown reading to prisoners at Newgate Prison. The design also incorporates a key representing the key to the prison which was awarded to Fry in recognition of her work. Unfortunately, as of 2016, Fry's image on the notes was replaced by that of Winston Churchill. She was one of the social reformers honoured on an issue of UK commemorative stamps in 1976. And that's the story of Elizabeth Fry. That is awesome. That is... Aww. I just, you know, I feel a bit better for knowing that. I mean, I the name tweaked, um, and I told you, I was like, oh, I think I know, because mm-hmm. I've got my wallet next to me, and I just went, oh, <laughs> she's on the, she was on the back of the fiver. And I was like, oh, that's where I... And you're from, and I knew vaguely. Oh, she did stuff with kind of you know social reform, but I knew nothing about that. I mean, yeah. How okay? How they haven't done like at least like a BBC drama series about it? Maybe not a film, although let's be honest, a film. You know, I I would watch that. That's that's awesome. That's you know, yeah. Con- considering how long background. she was doing it and all the key people who kept intersecting her life, you'd think you could, you could do like a five episode oh, yeah. series on her easily and it would be so fascinating and eye-opening. Oh, God, yeah. You could, yeah, you could do like a five, six-part miniseries. You know, if you wanted, you could have it at three stages, you know, three different actresses playing her, if you wanted to do different stages of her life or whatever. But, yeah, I just think that's amazing because, you know, like I said, of the background she came from, you know, she's got all these very, you know, you know, very, you know, well-to-do kind of upper class and everything, and yet she chose to do that. And I think that's, you yeah. know, that's awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, I think that she was, she did the right thing by using the privilege that she had, you know, as, you know, even as a woman in those times, she was still an upper class woman. Um, and she did a hell of a lot of, you know, important and fantastic stuff with that. So I have, I, I, I don't know, almost a bit of a platonic crush at the moment. I think that's also, I am genuinely, when we're done here, 
um, I am gonna I'm gonna do my own little research on it because you know like we've said they don't teach this in schools they don't you know they're very focused on you know certain aspects of history which are very important and everything but it is good to know about more inspirational figures who aren't talked about as much particularly British ones we seem to have quite a few you know, American ones who are told, well, you know, so-and-so did this, and that was fantastic, and, you know, they're quite right and everything, but, you know, let's let's give, you know, Elizabeth Fry her due. Because yeah. she, she did a lot of incredible things, and she was pretty awesome. And I've, I've got to be honest, after learning about her as well, I'm, I'm honestly a little pissed off that they took her off the £5 note because she's so much more awesome than Winston Churchill. It's like, yeah, I know he, he led the country during World War Two, mm. but... I think she did such amazing work that to take her off is a bit bit of a shame. Yeah, it's almost a bit like, I'm sure they'd have found room for Winston on, like, another note. Yeah. Or moved Elizabeth on. You know, like, there's there doesn't need to be, be just one woman on a bit of currency, you know. God forbid, you know, I know, is it Jane Austen who's on at the moment? She's on the, she's on the tenor, Jane Austen? But it's basically, oh, you know, oh, there's only one woman apart from, you know, the Queen we're talking about and a uh, previous historical figure on any given time. It's just a bit like, well, why not? Put Elizabeth Fry on. Put, you know, yeah. Jane Austen on. And out of the two of them, if you were in a position where it's only one woman, bump Elizabeth Fry up to the £10. Forget yeah. Jane Austen. It's like she wrote some books, yeah. but Elizabeth Fry changed the shape of the country. Oh, listen, it's like, listen, Jane Austen is a fantastic author and everything, but she didn't really champion reform. She didn't, you know, do... Because Elizabeth Fry, my God, she did so much. You know, I've been sat... I haven't really been talking much, or I don't think I have, you know, during the episode, because I've just been sat there listening, going like, Jesus, really, she did all that? That's incredible. With the context of... This is the late 18th, early 19th century, when, yeah, things were getting slowly better, and the Industrial Revolution was just practically around the corner, but my god, things were still bad for women, as we were mm. testing, you know, and the fact that she went up and did that, and was supported, and really paved the way for lasting change, is something that is absolutely commended, and it should be, there should be a TV series, there should be a whole mini-series, there should be films about her, there should be absolutely fantastic, because she's inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I just got really emotional. I was like, oh, I don't know what else to say. Now. Well, no, that's that's good. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed the subject. I honestly, I was a little nervous because it's like, okay, there are two episodes out already with some crazy shit in them, and the third ah. episode is gonna be mad as well. So it's like, is is a serious subject gonna engage with people? But you've proven that it does. So. Oh, I'm glad. that's awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong, next time get me on something crazy, because <laughs> I, I, I want to show that I have range. You know, thank you for, for coming on the episode. Oh, yeah. It was it was a real big pleasure. If the audience liked what they heard, where else can they find more of you? Ah, awesome. Uh, no, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's, been, it's been so much fun and really informative. Um, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at higher underscore boy. Um, I do a couple of regular podcasts, the first of which is North by Nerd West, which is me um, and one of my best mates, Emma Platt. We basically talk about all things nerdy on a, usually it's a monthly basis. It's mainly us just kind of chatting absolute shit at each other. 
about, like I said, various nerdy topics. Sometimes we stray into like gender politics or kind of queer identity or occasionally like RuPaul's Drag Race, but that's just that's 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 just us. Um, so yeah, please check us out on iTunes. There, um, I am also part of the uh, Good Evening and Alfred Hitchcock podcast, which is on Podomatic. If I've got the right um, the right service, that is me and a couple of Canadian friends of mine. Uh, Brandon Shane Matala and Tom Caldwell. We are doing uh, an entire Hitchcock retrospective, the good and the bad, and we're chronologically making our way through his um, early works. We are we have just done episode ten, uh, and we are looking to do uh, episode eleven. We're still in his very early work, so if you want to jump on board, that would be absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. Awesome. That that all sounds really cool. Oh, thank you. So again. Um... Thank you for for coming on. I I hope now that you've enjoyed it, you'll be up for coming on again in the future. Oh, listen, absolutely. I mean, because like as a as a as a full aside, I got followed by Eccentric Earth first, and I didn't know who it was or what it was. <laughs> but I read the description, I was like, oh, this seems fun. So I just followed it back on Twitter, and then I realised it was you, and I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome now. <laughs> like we were recording something. I think it was Smogglesburg we were recording together, and you mentioned it in your like outro. You were like. Oh yeah, I'm starting eccentric earth, and I just and obviously no one can see me, but I was there doing little flair going like, Oh my god, it's Amy's show <laughs> I was yeah, I was not very cool. It was not <laughs> but I was there just going, you know, when people were like, Oh yeah, I'll go on, I'll go on and I was there just like me, I'm me <laughs> I wanna go on. But yeah, absolutely. Uh if you'll have me, I would be honoured to come back. Oh, definitely any time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. You can find us on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Acast, Podbean, SoundCloud and a whole host of podcast providers. You can also follow us on social media where you can be kept up to date about all our episodes as well as getting little history facts every single day. You can find us on Twitter by going to at eccentric underscore earth our Facebook page is at Eccentric Earth, and we're also on Instagram with our account Eccentric Earth. If you want to get in contact with us or want to suggest any topics for us to cover in the future, our email address is eccentricearth at outlook.com. Thank you once again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.